As RTE was grilled by the Oireachtas Committee this week, many startling facts emerged about how public money was spent by the broadcaster. 200 pairs of flip-flops costing €5,000. €2,161 spent uh, through the barter account on balloons. But in a very different category was the €2.2 million loss incurred by a controversial RTE theatre production, Toy Show the Musical. Rory Coveney, RTE's Director of Strategy, had to answer for that. How can you justify 2.2 million of a loss and stand over it as be, that you're proud of it? That's an enormous loss. We took a, a creative and commercial risk to, put it to, to try and, for the best of reasons, to try and <coughs> create something unique for Irish families for children at Christmas. It's unique, all right. Irish Times Arts and Culture Editor Hugh Linehan has, well, another take. My suspicion here is this was an uh, exercise in hubris, that you had people who were institutionalised, had all spent many years inside a very large quasi-civil service style organisation, who got stars in their eyes and spangles on their feet, and they said, let's take this show on the road, and, uh, and got horribly burnt. The trouble is, they did it with our money. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, Toy Show the Musical, RTE's 2.2 million euro Christmas turkey. Hugh, in the normal course of events, uh, if you come into studio as arts and culture editor and we were talking about a show, I'd spend ages talking to you about it. We're not going to spend a lot of time talking about Toy Show the Musical, but we have to say what we're talking about. So could you give us the elevator pitch? Could you give us the synopsis? So my understanding of it is, is that during COVID, when everything was locked down, two producers in RTE uh, knocked their heads together and were thinking about interesting things that could be done in the future when when the pandemic was over. And they came up with the idea of translating the Toy Show, which is Ireland's most successful television show. It has the highest ratings in the year, every year, without without fail, that they could turn that into a stage show for, for Christmas. And so they put that concept together. As I understand it, they brought it to their higher-ups in RTE. The wheels started in motion and the rest of the outside world, including me, because I got early advance press releases of this in, I suppose, summer of last year, knew that this thing was coming on the horizon, although it only really became clear what this thing actually was in, I think, about September, October. They, they started casting at the end of the summer. And Toy Show, the musical, was unveiled to the world. This Christmas, step inside one little girl's toy show adventure as she and her family prepare for the biggest night of their lives. RTE presents Toy Show. The I wrote a piece about it, I think, last October when I got the first press release, expressing some reservations um, and some of those reservations uh, proved to be justified. Well, it opened on December 10th in the Convention Centre and we'll talk about that in a minute. Tickets cost €25 plus €2.50 service charge. And I think what those of us who weren't in the market for going to it, what those of us remember around the time was the huge amount of promotion on RTE, especially on the radio. I had an amazing time. It was the best show I've ever seen. Excellent. Brilliant. Amazing. Fantastic. Superb. Brilliant. Oh my God. The shining lights. I can see your feet. Audiences are going wild for Orgy Toy Show the Musical. Don't miss Toy Show the Musical at the convention centre. But at the same time, Hugh, I think it was becoming clear that things were not going too well. What were the criticisms at the time of Toy Show the Musical? Well, I'm going to hold up my hand and say, even before I knew 
exactly what the show was like and before any reviews had come in one of the one of the concerns that i expressed and this is one of the reasons i think why this this story is emblematic of broader issues that have that have come into the public domain about rte now is that the christmas panto there's a great tradition of that in dublin there's a there's a kind of a community, a society, you could say, of performers and musicians and stage people who rely on it for an income. And they had just had a terrible time because obviously there wasn't really a Christmas panto season in 2020 or 2021. They're not the kind of people who get Arts Council grants or anything like that. They draw on an older theatrical tradition that I'm quite affectionate about and I like it. And the last thing they needed really, it seemed to me at the time, before the show even went up, was uh, was RTE barging in with all its resources and all its money and competing with those people on an uneven playing field. And uh, you're quite right, there were all those radio ads. Interestingly, I noticed there were vast amounts of bus stop ads. Mm. And and what's, um, what's interesting now is, of course, is now our attention has been drawn to barter accounts, is you wonder how all that works, where certain kinds of ad space being traded mm. for other kinds of ad space. But there is no doubt there was a hell of a lot of marketing went on. So the show opened. Um, it opened to, uh, I think the traditional phrase is mixed reviews. Okay. Um, some were. Did we review it here? In we the did Times? review it and we gave it what I would say was a gently negative review, two stars out of five. The kind of question was it was quite well done. They they put together a pretty impressive creative team in terms of the writer, the director, the, uh, the performers. They all had decent track records. Um, but the question was why? What's it for? And uh, and I think that question remained. And that question became more pressing as tickets didn't seem to sell very well. There were certain issues with illness among the cast. Some shows were cancelled. Uh, it was clear that it wasn't going particularly well and it wasn't particularly well received. And the venue, the venue was the convention centre, which, look, let's face it, isn't sort of a byword for, you know, magical childhood Christmas, is it? Not at all. And reports are that, you know, that, that audiences had to kind of walk in through this very sterile atmosphere, which is what the convention centre is like, and very large because the auditorium is only one part of the convention centre. Put it this way, it's not the Gaiety Theatre. You know, it can be quite hard to see the sunny side of the street. But sometimes, I find, not always, but just sometimes, all you need is the sun in your heart and to laugh at the clouds above. Now, it seemed to even onlookers that there was a distance between the musical and the mothership, the Late Late Show, and Ryan Tuberty specifically. Did we know why at the time? There is talk that Tuberty wasn't that happy with it, but he hasn't gone on the record in any way. But I would note that he didn't say very much about it at all. One of the things I speculated about in that column back in October was that we'd be hearing endlessly about Toy Show, the musical, on the Late Late Show in the in the weeks and months leading up to it. That wasn't the case, which I think was an interesting sign. Now, there is a major case of Hamlet without the prince here, isn't there? Because mm. if we look at the the mm. product itself at the um, the Late Late Toy Show, it is built around Ryan Tuberty. Of course, it's been around a lot longer than him. Sure. It was there in the Gay Byrne era. It was there in the Pat Kenny era. Pat Kenny was particularly bad at it. I don't think Gay Byrne was that great afterwards. It had its place in the firmament of Irish broadcasting, but it didn't have that preeminent spot that, to be fair to him, Ryan Tuberty had. In fact, some people have said that if there was such a thing as a late, late toy show every week of the year, well, then Ryan Tuberty would be in his element because yeah. it's clearly the thing that he's best at. Oh, we can expect uh, the goof factor is turned up to 11. We're bringing back goof. The toy show uh, is going to be a little more um, giddy and silly 
and goofy and off the chart egetry. And I'm good at that. Both the questions you've raised already, the one about the convention centre and the one about Ryan Tuberty, do raise serious questions about the process, the creative process that went on, the planning, the idea of putting on this show in the first place. Uh, as I said earlier, the, the the two producers, quite experienced RT producers, quite serious there, but they are TV and radio producers. They're not live uh, theatre producers. They don't have any background in uh, in musical theatre, which is a very specific kind of part of the entertainment industry. And it is, you don't need to have seen Max Bialystok in The Producers to know that it's a very high risk. It's particularly high risk. I think of, of all forms of live performance, it's probably the riskiest. It's, it's more akin in that way to the movie business uh, in that you stake a lot of money on something and most of your, you know, most of the time you're going to lose. And Now, we'll talk about unfair competition because, as you say, there was criticism at the time um, on the grounds that RTE are sticking their publicly funded or into the, an already struggling live Christmas entertainment industry. We had, at the time, Alan Hughes, Virgin Media presenter, and he produces his own pantomimes for years, uh, most recently in the National Stadium, that was the venue. And he said, you know, RTE is exploiting a commercial advantage over its competitors. And he, he said he'd spent 50 grand advertising his panto on RTE while Toy Show the Musical benefited from free cross-platform promotion uh, on the broadcaster. And he also said at the time, you know, thanks to the might of RTE, I don't think any other small independent production person could come into this small, saturated market at Christmas. Was that a fair criticism, do you think? Absolutely. I think you, you couldn't you couldn't argue against that. I think he I think he's absolutely right, and his colleagues in the Olympia Panto and the Gaiety Panto were right as well. Just because it turned out that it wasn't that much of a threat because the show was terrible and nobody wanted to see it doesn't mean that the original criticism um, wasn't wasn't valid. And I think again to broaden it out a bit, it does chime with similar criticisms of RTE's activities in other areas over over many, many years. And it kind of goes to the heart of some of the things we're talking about at the moment, which is the blurring of the line between the commercial activities of RTE and its public service remit and, and what money goes where. And particularly the fact that RTE is not just Ireland's public service broadcaster, RTE is also Ireland's largest indigenous media company. It's the biggest beast in the market. And when it enters a new market, it's in competition with other people. And something I think that doesn't get said enough when we have these conversations right now or the way they've been happening over the last couple of weeks is we should say, and everyone else should say, that we have a dog in this fight. Mm. You know, we're all competitors. Uh, the Irish Times is a competitor of RTE now to a degree that it never was previously. Uh, that's true of all newspapers, broadcasters. We're all competing with RTE and it it does behave. It does throw its weight around in the market and it does arguably misuse its publicly funded weight uh, to get what it wants at times. I've certainly seen that in, in certain regards. So now in the digital world in which, mm. in, in which we all live, there are, there are valid questions which competitors like the Irish Times and Virgin Media and the, uh, the privately owned radio stations raise about whether the way that RTE cross promotes, uh, the way it develops new brands, whether that's really acceptable from a public service broadcaster. And I think that's going to be one of the, one of the questions that's going to have to be answered over the next one. Now let's talk about D Forbes because we have to talk about D Forbes, uh, the former Director General. 
the show opened in on December the 10th and, and we ran a piece here at the Irish Times a week and a half later. She was coming out to bat for the show. Uh, so obviously very aware that things weren't were going south and she came out to bat and very, very strident, you know, she said uh, attempts to pit uh, the toy show, the musical against other production is at odds with the broad support we've received from the theatre world. Is that true? No. No. Okay. Right. She. <laughs> well, she, I mean, I mean, maybe you can point me towards any quote, but I certainly haven't seen one. No. And and in, in fairness, we didn't use any quote in that piece to back it up. No. She she was allowed to say that. Um, but she also defended promoting the show on RT platforms, and she said, and I, at the time, I remember reading this, and I did think it was tone deaf. She said, there are no restrictions on access to RT platforms for, for the promotion of culture of commercial productions. What did you think of those defences? Well, that's at the very time? interesting, isn't it? You know, mm. it's very interesting that she said that. As you said, it was kind of tenured, mm. but it was kind of the mask slipping a little bit. Um, and there's been, again, a lot of this over the last while. RT has been wandering around for years, you know, wrapping the public service cloak around itself and saying, please don't hit us and please, you know, allow us to survive on the one hand. And then this red in tooth and claw capitalism, which which is kind of revealed by that quote to an extent on, on the other. And I don't think that stands anymore. I'll be back with you, Lennon, after this short break. Already at the end of December, uh, politicians, you know, they smell blood around the whole thing. We had Brian Stanley. He's the chair of the Public Accounts Committee. We, we've seen him in the last couple of weeks. But then he told RTE Radio that he viewed the musical as too much of a risk for RTE and one that didn't seem to have paid off. With this, it does appear to have fallen short in terms of what kind of market research has done has, has it been moving into a crowded market? You know, with all the Christmas shows that are on, in particular around Dublin, uh, we are in the middle of a cost of living crisis. Um, but, of know. course, it wasn't until the past few weeks and the intense focus on RTE and how it does its business that Toy Show, the musical, became the subject of renewed scrutiny. Now, before we go into the details of what we learned, what... Like, what has any of this got to do with Ryan Tuberty? Um And the payments and the scandal? Like, what... What has it got to do with them? Okay, we should not lose sight of the fact that this scandal is about the payment of, secret payment of of money to Ryan Tuberty that wasn't divulged to the government and the Oireachtas and the people of this country. And that was, as has been accepted by RTE itself, deliberate concealment. Uh, and that that is what the scandal is about. But if that were the, if that was what it was always about, well, we wouldn't really have very much to talk about, would we? We just need to get to the bottom of that. Mm. What it's really about is, and, you know, uh, I'm sorry, but these phrases have been sprinkled across our newspaper like confetti for the last two weeks. It's about a failure of governments, of accountability, weak management. Public uh, money. Um, uh, I don't know if it's misuse of public money, mm. but it's certainly public money, which could be used far better by a, by a, an institution which its own chair is accepted, was bidding against itself for the service of these broadcasters uh, and presenters, the majority of whom were represented by one single very powerful agent. So that's ultimately what it's about. But within that, it very it immediately brings us to broader questions. And really, a lot of them come back to this relationship between the two arms of RTE, the commercial and the public service. And it should be said, I mean, looking at these politicians uh, having great blood sport with, with these unfortunate uh, executives over the over the last couple of weeks. That's very po- kind of you now, unfortunate. Well, anyway. they are unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, one could argue maybe that they brought some of that misfortune upon them upon themselves, of course. But the politicians bear you know bear some blame for this. You know, the dual funded model, which has been around for public service for a very long time, is collapsing. Both sides of those both both pillars of that are in the process of collapsing, and the politicians bear side for bear full responsibility for the public funding side of that. So, on his first outing to the Oireachtas Media. Committee. That was last Wednesday. The director of strategy, Rory Coveney, whose baby this musical was, he was asked to explain Toy Show the musical. I recall at the time that that I think that particular show was a fiasco, and I remember RTE were advertising it morning, noon, not to get rid of the tickets. Whose decision was it to run such a show? It was definitely came through the executive board. It came through. I was. Run, uh, responsible for the project in one sense. Um, it was signed off by the board, signed off by the Autonomous Committee. It wasn't successful. Um, it was a creative project that um, wasn't successful commercially, I should say. It was a very good show. Um, we, we're not doing it this year. We're, we're reviewing how we might bring it back in the future, but um, that's where it's at the moment. What's the much money lost on the whole process? Well, it depends on how, you, how long you look over a period of time. We haven't made a decision on what we're going to do. There's a lot of value in it. There's, a, lot of, there's a story, there's songs, there's, um, except, and there's, there's a set. So it just depends over the, what period of time you're, you're talking about. So. Did Coveney have a point? I mean, is it unfair to judge the success of such a production after only its first and most expensive season? Because I think he sort of intimated that this this show has legs. <laughs> Uh, I could bring what I what you might laughingly call my expertise to this, Bernice, and I'm going to say this show has no legs. <laughs> okay, <laughs> it definitely, it definitely but has. We do no know it has a set it, that it, is in storage. It for has eight a set and now. it has a score yes. and it has a script and it has a few of those things. But even before all of this happened, it had failed. It had the stench of failure off it. It would have required a bullishness um, and a doggedness, which I don't actually associate with with, with RT, to put it back on in the convention centre again after it's run the last time. That seems most implausible. But let's just be realistic now. This is... This show is now famous and the reason it's famous is because it's the biggest turkey since Dustin was invented in the 1980s. It stinks to high heaven and nobody would touch it with a barge pole unless we can resuscitate Max Bialystok and his his genius plan to make millions out of the worst failure in the history of show business. <laughs> so, okay, so that was last week. Now, this week uh, came the hard facts about how badly the musical did. And the figures are pretty shocking. The top line, the one that everybody's talking about, is that the musical lost 2.2 million euro. Lot of money. What else did we learn about the figures that were released? And, you know, just how bad is that in the grand scheme of things in terms of production, in terms of how much things normally cost? It's pretty big, I think. And uh, I can't claim to be an expert on the budgeting for a for a significant um, musical stage show. I mean, they are terribly expensive, as I said previously, because of the number of people who are involved and the, the number of elements and that. But in a Dublin context for an originating in Dublin Christmas show, it looks like quite a lot of money. The, the numbers themselves are sort of interesting. They're... Um, there's huge variance, sometimes up and sometimes down, between what's budgeted for and what's what's a loss. It's These not are the just, numbers that were revealed. Yes, yeah. indeed. So, you know, how much was going to be spent on marketing? Actually, they spent an awful lot more on marketing than they said they were going to. Maybe that was a kind of panic reaction when they realised they were in trouble with it. A lot of the other costs were sort of wrong. It, it, it all looked like a plan that had really gone badly awry on, on all fronts, that their predictions on all fronts had, had gone wrong. And it's a, it is a lot of money. 
you know, um, sometimes when we have these conversations, we say, you know, we talk in the millions, millions and we say it's not millions. a lot of money yeah. because <laughs> set against the yeah. HSE's sure, budget, sure. it's, you know, it's, it's yeah. peanuts or whatever. You know, this is a lot of money. And it, 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 does still beg more questions, it seems to be the case with all these stories in RT at the moment, which is where's that money set against? You know, um, because people have already, you know, said in, in the Rockless committees, you know, this is all the TV licenses in Trilly and Killarney yes, yeah. have gone to pay yeah. for this, this piece of nonsense. Well, did they or is it set against commercial revenue? And can we actually trust that in terms of who actually pays for the, for the bloody thing at the end? Now, we also heard the figures of how many people actually went to the show. Did you go to the show, by the way? No. No, okay. I'm kind of, our family are are out of that zone at this point. Okay, you've aged out. Okay, so uh, 20,000 people saw the show. 20,000 bums on seats, but nearly half of those were freebies. Um, And, you know, I think that was something that was rumoured at the time in December, the production. Um, And that pretty much is the kiss of death for a show, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's not unusual to see houses get papered, which is the, the... business term for it, you know, that you get a paper house, you know, that that can happen, um, particularly in what you might call the subsidised theatre. And I suppose this qualifies as subsidised theatre in that it was subsidised by, by RTE because there's nothing worse than a house that's a quarter full. So if you can bring it up to a half full, at least the experience for the poor unfortunates who actually paid for it is <laughs> is, is slightly better. better. Yeah. So that's a, so that's a, so that's a common practice. Now, Coveney seemed to be styling it out a little because he said, you know, we took a creative and a commercial risk. If, if I'm not sure was anyone was anyone here at the show, but um, those who attended it um, absolutely loved it, particularly children. Um, it clearly wasn't a commercial success, but it wasn't from a lack of effort from everyone involved. Um, we did a huge amount of work um, trying to model what... Um, how was it paid for? How was it, the losses, how were they paid for? I paid for my, for my T funds. Are, are we being unfair? Is that not fair enough? Well, I think there are two things about about this that strike me. One is that there, you know, there's a very fashionable notion, you know, around in the in the in the business area these days, which is that the most valuable thing is IP, which is intellectual property, um, and that is very valid. You only need to look at the marquee of a cinema to know that most of the most of the films that are you know, that are on are based upon some form of a product or a repeat or a sequel or something like that. And that is kind of, you know, rolls out across our culture in general. And that's how, how people make, make money about this. I think I remember I said back in the, uh, uh, back when I wrote this column in October or something like it's just in the nature of 21st century capitalism that when people figure out that the crowd likes something, they'll keep giving it to them until they project all vomit. And I think that's the idea of, you know, everything from the Marvel comic universe to other other kinds of Disney remakes and those kind of things. So so that's that's the world in which RT is operating. So you on in a kind of abstract level you can say, well that's what they were trying to do. Because this was a big Late brand. Biggest brand. It was a big brand. Hmm. It was, you know, there is a logic to that. I think when you get to the situation where Rory Coveney and a number of his colleagues presumably are sitting around in an airless room in Montrose and they're talking about intellectual property and they identified this thing, the late, late toy show. Somebody should have been in the room to say, well, is this actually the kind of IP that translates from this medium into that? And if so, you know, how, you know, how, how achievable is that? And what are real numbers? There are some things that RTE could have done if it thought that this was a great idea that it didn't do. A really obvious one is it could have mitigated or spread its risk by entering into this as a co-production as opposed to taking the full weight of it on itself. That's your theory. My theory is that it's the river dance effect. That they saw river dance trotting out the door and making millions 
for some people, not for RTE. It for Moira Doherty, interestingly exactly. enough. It, it originated in RTE, but it went out the door. And my feeling is they thought, hold on, we have this, let's keep it in-house and let's make millions from it ourselves. And I thought it was interesting in the committee this, this week, and this was a, one smart thing that they did, but they got very unsmart advice. Moya Doherty said she had been asked about it, that she had been asked, would it, would it work? And she appears to have said, crack on. Yes, she did. And, 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 and fair play to her for saying that because, mm. you know, uh, she could easily have kind of, you know, blurred the lines a little bit, bit on that. And she has a, she has a much better grasp of the dynamics of putting on a theatre production than, uh, than most people in Ireland and certainly than anybody, anybody in RTE. She said also that, that it was a good idea to give the opportunity to these, um, two talented women, these two producers to run with their idea. Maybe if it was a, you know, if it was a, if it wasn't a public service broadcaster, she'd have been right about that. Um, but you're, you're right. I'm sure that there are, there are scars in RTE going back three decades now mm. to that experience of, of uh, John McCulgan, Moya Doherty and Bill Whelan walking out the door and putting on a show that I think has had 25 million tickets that has sold around the world at this point and uh, has made vast amounts of money for, for the people who did it. I'm sure that, um, I, I, I'm sure that was some, yeah. to some extent weighing, yeah. on, weighing on the minds of those in RTE. But if that's the case, they really took the wrong conclusions from that, uh, from that failure. Now we hear that Grant Thornton is going to investigate the musical. Um, Now, that's more than six months after this fiasco. Why are they going that road? And why didn't the board in January or February, on, on its first meeting of the year, whenever that was, I'm sure it was at that time, why didn't they say, hold on, what was that? What was the musical? We need an inquiry into it. So isn't that a failure of the board? I think it's yet another failure to add to the, you know, to add to a list which had been revealed uh, over recent weeks. And at, at the heart of this, it, it, it seems to me, and it's been very visible at the Oroctus committees, is I see a group of individuals who are not united in a common purpose. I see a group of individuals who are worried about their own reputations and their own futures, quite legitimately, uh, I, I should say, but who are not. And maybe this is because they actually don't have a leader at the moment. They have somebody who's essentially been put in place as a placeholder for a couple of weeks until Kevin Backhurst actually takes up takes up the role. It seems utterly superfluous to me to uh, to do Grant Thornton. Do they not have proper processes of, you know, of reporting? and analysis and projects when they've come to an end, as this one clearly has. Or though, is that uh, another sign that trust has totally broken down? Well, maybe, but I don't think there's any indication here, is there, that anything wrong, in my understanding of the word, was done. You no, know, just in loads the, in of the, money in the, were spent, that's all. In the, in yeah, the, in, yeah, yeah. In the famous Irish formulation, <laughs> mistakes were made, yes. you know, yeah. <laughs> um, in the, you know, in the passive aggressive, uh, mm-hmm. sense, you know, sense of the word. And I'm sure that people are kind of running for cover and everything and that. But there was, you know, there was a, there was a bad idea. It was followed through. It shouldn't have been followed through and it lost a lump of money. So now a lot of focus, obviously, is on RTE and how it manages money, how it funds itself and how much it pays its big name presenters. What does the debacle tell us about how RTE works and how it should perhaps work differently in the future? <laughs> um, and if you knew the full answer to that question, go on. I'd be sorted. So I, th- I think among the things it tells us is this silo culture, which we hear about a lot, that, that that's clearly a difficulty, uh, that, that there isn't proper oversight from a for government's and financial control um, point of view as well. It also comes back to this recurring point that the organisation as a whole, with its 
binary dual funding model has somehow lost a grip or maybe never had a grip on the commercial side of that equation. I mean, it's extraordinary that things like this, you know, what's talked about barter account did not cross the desk of the chief financial officer. I mean, that's sort of mind boggling. I mean, whatever else you may say about other kinds of organisations, you know, all the accounts should be within the vision of the, of the financial controller. And if that's happening, well, then you, have, you, you can legitimately ask, well, is that the same with other kinds of commercial activities? Now, I should say that a lot of this stuff about flip-flops and balloons, it, it, it seemed to me to be a distraction. I, you know, I know a little bit about the world of advertising and marketing, and it's a world of schmoozing. And if you're in that area, that's what you need to do. I don't particularly like it very much. I find it all in rather bad taste. But if everything that I found in bad taste was illegal, we wouldn't be left with very much. And uh, and if you're going to ask RTE to be a big hitter in that area, that's what you're going to have to do. I suspect, I have a suspicion that one of the things that may have been going on is Legacy media, which includes us as well as RTE, its advertising revenues have been declining for years. They're continuing to go south. And when you have a situation like that within an organisation, there's a kind of paradoxical thing which happens, which is that what's called the commercial side of the house. They actually end up, their voices become louder and they have more say and they may get away with more um, because of that, because of those very financial pressures. And I wonder, I think we heard this from Rory Coveney at one of his committee hearing meetings. He talked about this. He talked about the pressure on income and the need to diversify, the need to do other things. And that's a very, very dangerous idea because somebody saying, we're in a hole, we have to get out of it. I have this brilliant wheeze to get us out of it. And the brilliant wheeze nearly always doesn't work. And that's really what happened in this case. And how should it perhaps work differently in the future? Well, I have changed my view a bit on this. Um, I never thought it was practical to move away from the dual funding model uh, up until now. But I think the situation has now become so serious, uh, both in the short term, where I think you're going to see downward pressure on both state funding and advertising over the next year and God knows what that's going to mean for uh, for many of the people who work in RTE. And then just with the broader picture, which is what is a public service broadcaster? What is public service media in the 21st century, in the 2020s and into the 2030s? And so I have changed my view and I do think that you'd be much better off with a smaller, more focused public service media company that didn't run pop music stations and that didn't do a whole bunch of other things too, but that did certain things that we defined that we needed that wouldn't be supplied by the market, uh, but should be supplied to the citizens of this country. Thanks very much, Hugh. That's it for today. For more coverage of the RTE payment story, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon. In the news, we'll be back on Monday.